Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. This week, John, FanDuel announced a major development as hockey fans will now be able to live stream NHL games through the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Finally, we get hockey the way it was meant to be viewed on a three-inch screen that's reduced to two inches to make room for betting odds. Uh, John, what's more offensive to the hockey traditionalist, streaming games through a sportsbook app or the glowing pucks on Fox in the 90s? <laughs> well, yeah, the glowing puck to be sure, but um, I'm old enough to remember Peter Puck. I don't think you... Uh, no, I don't know time. who that is. No. That's a cartoon character from the 1970s on NBC broadcasts. Um, <laughs> you shape like, well, you know what you shape like, um, Peter Puck. Uh, I was young enough to presumably like a cartoon character, but Peter's role in short segments was to teach me the rules of hockey. I mean, it's not a bad idea, right? But I was a fanatic for the sport by then. I didn't need some fucking, well, cartoon character to explain it to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> NBC also had some kind of penalty shot series, I recall, with star skaters and goalies that showed during intermissions. It didn't throw me either. Uh, but the glowing puck, yeah, that was really bad. Um, it suffered with the same challenge that the betting issues do now, right? That Sure, some portion of the audience struggles to follow the puck or wants to be inundated with constant gambling references on broadcast, but it's annoying as hell for the rest of us. I mean, particularly to me. I mean, I grew up playing pond hockey, so no adult supervision whatsoever, even as youngsters. Uh, no equipment beyond some pleather hockey gloves and figure skates. Um, this is just as the hockey skates were even coming into vogue. Hmm. We used to, you know, uh, use portion of the tree branches to create the goalposts to lay on the ice. Um, and usually the ice didn't crack, but occasionally it did. <laughs> yeah, it, it was glorious. <laughs> so I never had any problem following the puck or watching a hockey broadcast, having played the game. Uh, although I understand it is difficult for casual fans who never play the game, and, and uh, it is even today. So I, I get it, but it didn't work. Um, now, this app, yeah, I like it as a betting tool um, with a modest bonus feature of tiny skaters going by, and you can listen to the play-by-play. But I can't honestly say that I'll be signing up. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, speaking of how tiny those skaters w- would be on the screen, I wonder if like if hypothetically, if if both teams agreed to play for a couple of minutes without a puck, if they just skated around as if following a pretend puck on a screen that small, would viewers watching on their phones even be able to tell that there was no puck? Uh, but yeah, the, the glowing puck uh, sure was a stupid idea, but. It may have paved the way for the glowing first downline in football, which most people love. So, uh, you know, from from bad ideas, uh, sometimes a, a good idea might grow, I suppose. Well, it, it, it'd be interesting if they ever do it to uh, have a second screen there where uh, a, a different <laughs> network for, you know, tell casual fans, hey, come in here. We're going to have a glowing puck and you can learn <laughs> the game that way. That's fine with me, but just don't have it on the regular broadcast. Yeah, that, that's fair. Well, anyway, I, I look forward to the day when my mobile sportsbook app has not only streaming games and the ability to place bets, but also has a, a driving navigation feature. It follows my voice commands. It plays my music library. And, and, and then I can just delete all the other apps on my phone. I, I think we're getting there. Yeah, I don't have too many apps on my phone. I probably <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of had that sense about you. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 81 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 80 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud and on iTunes and the Apple Podcast app, uh, but not the FanDuel Sportsbook app, at least not yet. Uh, please subscribe, rate, and give us those five-star reviews that we crave. And Eric, coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by Paul Krishnamurti. He's a British professional gambler and journalist who covers and bets on sports and politics. 
in as nonpartisan a manner as possible. We're going to talk with Paul about how he approaches betting on politics, how soon the activity might be legal at U.S. sportsbooks, and what he forecasts for November. But first, it's been yet another busy week in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. The original sports betting state followed the lead of newer sports betting states last week when Nevada, for the first time, released a breakdown of its sports betting handle that showed both land-based betting and mobile betting. This is something New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and other states have done since launching online sports betting, and the results in Nevada predictably showed less of a leaning toward online. Online wagers in January accounted for 48.9% of Nevada's total $502.5 million in sports bets, compared to nearly 90% in my home state and your home state, John. There are two obvious reasons for the difference. First, Las Vegas brick-and-mortar casinos remain a gambling destination in a less populous state. And second, Nevada bettors need to register in person before they can open a mobile betting account, a significant barrier to entry for some potential online bettors. Uh, we should note, by the way, that New Jersey had more total betting handle in January than Nevada did the first time that has ever happened during an NFL football month, albeit a playoff month with fewer games in this case. Anyway, John, any additional thoughts on the first retail versus online breakdown Nevada has released? And is there any reason to expect mobile betting to grow much above 50% in the state? Yeah, I think you nailed it with Nevada mobile betting. Yeah. The percentage is a little higher than I expected, actually, though. Hmm. Um, I mean, if you're in Las Vegas, you're in Nevada, okay, or Reno, Lake Tahoe, one of those. Right. Um, and if you're there, a casino's right around the corner with lots of gamblers and drunk people and even some drunk gamblers, which you might be interested in. Um, <laughs> so either you relate to them or there sure are some good people watching to be had. So why bet on your phone? Yeah, uh, that's uh, that's certainly a drive. I, I know, I know you're more. You you seem very into people watching in general. I know I that uh, when, when you've written when you've written yeah. about uh, the American Dream Meadowlands, you often uh, point <laughs> yeah. point out the potential for free people watching. Uh, if you yes. go there. <laughs> um, I think I think a lot depends on if Nevada does away with the in-person registration requirement at some point. If they do, certainly the online number will rise. But I'm not sure how far. I, I would guess maybe it could hit a peak of around. 65 or 70 percent under those circumstances but i can't see it getting much higher than that just because the the casinos and their physical sports books are such an attraction um we can say from experience that uh, legacy stadium is a fine place to hang out and watch a thursday night football game while you're killing time before your flight uh um, losing 20 bucks on the broncos but yeah, <laughs> that's right but uh but betting it uh, in person not uh not yeah. online right um one other notable uh stat that came out of this is just that for casinos on the actual loss Vegas Strip, only 30.5% of the handle came online. So it was that much lower for the for the Strip casinos, uh, which which makes sense. I just don't know that I would have thought the difference would be that huge. Um, but I, the, this whole thing will be interesting to track. I figure that in February with the Super Bowl, the in-person handle percentage will be a little higher. And then you have March Madness in March. So, so more of the same. So I think we probably have to wait until April before we might see the online percentage nudge up a bit, if at all. Maybe this, maybe it, it's just not going to break 50% in any month uh, until they do away with the in-person registration requirement. Las Vegas is doing just fine. They don't need, this is not a problem <laughs> at all. Right. Not at all. 
Right, you're, it's right. It's not necessarily something that they're looking to fix. It's more uh, my curiosity as a journalist and seeing 90% yeah. on the East Coast and, uh, yeah. and not quite 50% in, uh, in Nevada. Well, I mean, uh, nothing against the East Coast, where we're from, but uh, it's not Las Vegas. Right. Uh, speaking of not Las Vegas, our next story will talk about two states that uh, do not have uh, a Las Vegas in them. We're going to combine two sports betting legislation updates into one, both involving states starting with the letter M instead of the letter N for Nevada. Uh, one of the stories is encouraging. The other is not. Let's do the bad news first. The efforts to bring online sports betting to Mississippi, which we discussed a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, those efforts have failed, at least for 2020. Three separate bills in the House and two in the Senate died in committee on Tuesday. And our colleague Brian Pempis wrote, quote, while the state's casino industry didn't comment publicly on the proposals, one can read the tea leaves and assume competing firms in the industry aren't at a consensus on a new law for statewide online slash mobile sports books. Now for the brighter news. A new amendment in Massachusetts was filed just in time to beat last week's legislative deadline, keeping hopes for legal retail and online sports betting alive in 2020. The amendment sets tax rates of 10% for retail and 12% for mobile, with a variety of different levels of licensing available, ranging from a land-based casino wanting up to three online skins to a standalone online sports book. There's a long way to go, but at least after many months of talking about legislation, an effort has now been filed in Massachusetts. So, John, what's your level of optimism like for the biggest state in New England? And any surprise that online betting efforts fizzled out so quickly in Mississippi? Well, I got to say, Mississippi is the triumph of uh, inertia, basically. I mean, it's uh, it's amazing how something that has happened, which is the the casino sports betting, and now do something else. And it's like, well, you know, inertia. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's going nowhere this year, I don't think. Um, now, I haven't gotten as many bragging rights rich uh, on Massachusetts as the under on uh, anything sports betting as I have in New York, which right. I've cleaned up on. But I'm going to look at some more points here, too. Um, this was a funky House Senate Joint Committee bill and None of the seven senators even voted on it as it passed. Um, it doesn't sound to me like a resounding endorsement, although it was kind of a parliamentary thing, admittedly. But um, then there's a usual issue of it. It's being discussed there. Can you bet on Massachusetts college teams? Who gets to offer sports betting and so on? So they have a few months of a session left, unlike a lot of states. But um, I'll put my chips on the under once again for 2020 action. Uh, and listeners here in Massachusetts, um, sports betting proponents, uh, remember, don't shoot the messenger. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's not. It's not your fault if you get it right. Yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not rooting for against it. I'm just telling you. Right. Under on Massachusetts. Okay. Uh, it's been a strange start to the year in terms of legislation, as we've had a, a lot of states considering bills, maybe maybe more than we anticipated, yeah. but very few getting across the finish line. Um, in Mississippi. I do think online will come, uh, not this year, clearly. Uh, it, it's just most of the surrounding states aren't a threat. You know, Arkansas yeah. has retail only. Alabama has stalled out for now. Louisiana is just getting the ball rolling, and that's for retail. So the question is, how much will it matter when Tennessee launches mobile? For now, Mississippi just isn't feeling the pressure. Maybe in 2021 that changes. Um, for Massachusetts, I'm... Yeah, maybe a little more optimistic th than you, uh, although I'm still not banking on 2020. Uh, I, I know that uh, Rhode Island and New Hampshire are small states, but the pressure is there. And, of course, the public interest is there in Massachusetts. Politician interest seems to be there. DraftKings headquarters are there. Maybe yeah. that, uh, that that makes a difference. Um, 
I'd say probably not uh, by the end of the 2020 baseball season, but I could see for the 2021 season, I predict people will be betting on the Sulks from their seats at Fenway. Yeah, I'm I'm still sticking with the under. It's <laughs> it's uh it's been good to me so far. All right, uh, but by the by the way, I'm I'm going to spring this on you without warning. Uh, just Uh-oh. curious for your take. Do you think Tom Brady is on the Patriots next season? I need the John Brennan hunch here. Well, uh, I'm, my hunch is no, but I wish I could tell you where he's going. I don't <laughs> think he's going. I don't think he's going to be there. Yeah, okay. it's a that's a weird the Belichick the uh, craft relationship and and yeah, it's very strange. But um, you know, uh, when I covered the Knicks, Jeff Van Gundy, the coach, was uh, had a great line. Uh, In New York, it always ends badly. Um, it was about Patrick Ewing, but really it everywhere, it always ends badly. I mean, there's very few <laughs> players that stay with one team. And, you know, I remember Joe Namath and, you know, and right. Joe Montana and, and Johnny Unitas even, uh, you know, they wind up in these bizarre uniforms and it's just, it's just weird, but that's how sports is. Uh, Michael Jordan is a wizard. I mean, are you right. kidding me? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's going to end badly and it's going to end outside of New England, I think. All right. So John Brennan says, uh, bet the field. He won't tell you who, yes, who to bet exactly, that, but take the field. Field. Okay. Yes. All right. Um, our third and final story this week is an ugly one, but an important one. Uh, a criminal complaint was filed in Florida on Wednesday against 23-year-old Benjamin Pats, better known to some as Parlay Pats, after he was spotlighted this past football season in articles by Darren Ravel on the Action Network about Pats winning multiple massive parlay bets. Pats has been charged with threatening violence over Instagram direct message to a variety of professional athletes in 2019. Some of the messages feature language I do not feel comfortable reading on the podcast, uh, but one said, I will kill your entire family, and others involved severing necks and dismemberment. And those are the ones I'm willing to read on the podcast. So it gives you a sense of how bad the really bad ones are. Um, They were sent to MLB players uh, after they, it would seem, played a role in costing Pat's bets, uh, as well as to New England Patriots stars Rob Gronkowski and Julian Edelman after they helped the Patriots beat the Rams in the Super Bowl in which Pat's bet on the Rams. That's P-A-T-Z, not to be confused with P-A-T-S, I'm realizing as I'm saying this, that there are multiple Pat's in play on that one. Um, Pat's could face up to five years in prison. So if everything in the complaint is accurate, we are looking at a clear case here of a problem gambler, if not more far-reaching psychological or emotional problems, and bettors like Pats represent perhaps the most frightening downside to sports betting, whether the activity is legal or illegal. Mm. John, what was your reaction to reading these details, and is it fair for people to take aim at Rovell at all for glorifying Pats's betting success? Uh, well, yeah, full disclosure, once again, I've known Darren for more than 15 years. He's a Jersey guy like me, and I like him, so I should put that out there. Uh, that aside, I, I think it's fair to say that Darren has become extremely successful over the years by taking a lot of risks. He's kind of like a boxer who doesn't care how many cuts he gets on his face as long as he wins the fight. Hmm. Um, you know, our mission, our joint mission here in terms of coverage of the expansion of legal regulated gambling in the U.S. Is, is a lot different, frankly. You know, sometimes we end up looking like the Boy Scouts. We don't get on the real fun. And sometimes we breathe a sigh of relief because we didn't go there. You know, so it's really up to consumers to decide what platform fits best for them. Hmm. OK, um, as a veteran journalist uh, covering this particular industry, I have a fair amount to say on this topic. Um I wouldn't come down too harshly on Ravel, and I don't know him personally or have any connection. Uh, the, the only thing I'll say against him is that 
you can kind of connect the dots and assume that a guy isn't the most responsible, mature gambler if he's making tons of wild parlay bets. So mm-hmm. you're glorifying a somewhat reckless approach to sports betting. But then again, every sports book does the same thing. You see their social media accounts highlighting it every time someone turns $20 into $10,000 on a parlay. Um, But like, I don't know what Ravel's conversations with Pats were like and whether there were any signs that he should have picked up on. Um, I'll give you an example from my own life as a reporter. 20 Mm. years ago, I interviewed an up-and-coming boxer named James Butler. Uh, He was kind of quiet, not a great quote, but I didn't sense anything off about him. Uh, I interviewed him once on the phone, met him briefly in person, wrote an article. A year later, he had a meltdown in the ring and live on ESPN2 knocked his opponent out after the fight was over and after his gloves had been taken off. He just senselessly Uh, snuck up uh, and cold-cocked the guy. And it gets worse. Uh, About mm. another year or so after that, he murdered the younger brother of Max Kellerman. I don't know if you remember oh that God. story yeah. at all. Oh you know, it God. got a lot of attention at the time. Uh, it's kind of been a while now. But <sighs> the point is, we have no idea who the people we're interviewing really are. If they're mentally stable or not, we can't always tell yeah. from, you know. So whatever awful things Parlay Pats has done, Rovell has no responsibility to sense that, in my view. <laughs> but I, I do think we can all take away a lesson just about how we write about this and and about glorifying irresponsible gamblers who hit it big. Um, Like, let's say some guy takes his last $10,000, isn't going to be able to pay the mortgage without it, takes it and enters the World Series of Poker main event and goes on a magical run and wins. I think we should be cognizant to maybe frame the reporting as, you know, this guy did something foolish and it worked out. Uh, Not... You know, what an inspirational Cinderella story, which is probably how most people would would, would be inclined to cover it. Problem gambling, responsible ga- gaming. Th- these are topics that are very important and we have to keep them in mind at all times. And, and I just think I think there's something instructional to the ba- Parlay Pat story about, um, you know, the, the the real sports betting success stories are the ones who grind it out slowly, not the ones who hit one miracle big score. But. We also have to reckon with the fact that the one big score guys are much more interesting stories to to write and to read. Uh, you know, if some guy came up with his mathematical system to beat the books on NBA over-unders and he won 56.2% of his bets last season to grind out a small profit, it just isn't as compelling a read. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's a really tricky thing. And it's sort of aside from whatever, you know, disturbing issues this Parlay Pats guy has, just the idea of of how we cover gamblers like him is something to think about. Yeah, you're reminding me now, you know, last year, uh, the guy who bet the St. Louis Blues, he won $100,000 or whatever right. uh, to win the Stanley Cup. And I remember being almost like angry uh, that he didn't split the bet uh, going into the finals. It was just, to me, it was ridiculous and reckless, really, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, he couldn't afford to uh, go all in uh, either way, you know. So I, I think, and I'm I'm comfortable with that conclusion. But then again, um, I had the Chiefs 11 to one in our little uh, 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 game here, right. and um, I was debating myself and with you and with a bookmaker about, you know, do you do you split it or do you go for it? And because it was not actual, you know, life changing money to me. Um, I decided to go for it. I understood, like, what the heck, you know, you, you're you're that close to glory. Why not go for it? And I did, and I won, and that's nice. But uh, I, I like that um, 
comparison where, you know, when the guy is a life-changing number that he can get and he's going to risk doubling it and, and he won, but it was just dumb luck mm-hmm. as opposed to eh, it's a little bit of a extra thing. You know, if it's not going to kill you either way, why not go for it? So, I, you know, I, I like, like I said, we're Boy Scouts, I guess, but I, I, I'm much more comfortable with the way we uh, cover this, these things. Yeah. You know, when I wrote my story uh, leading up to the Super Bowl on, on hedge betting uh, and spoke to a couple of, of pros about it, um, you know, what basically what they said is, if the money doesn't doesn't really impact you one way or the other, then then it's probably not worth the hedge. But that it's sort of like it's interesting with these big payout bets, like the long shot bets that you don't think you're betting beyond your bankroll, but mm. you are if oh, yeah. the if the amount you stand to win is is yeah. way beyond your bankroll. So it's like mm. this. I think this guy bet. Four hundred dollars on the blues, or something like that. Mm. Um, which, so obviously, he could afford to lose four hundred dollars. But you're right that then there's a whole nother conversation about responsibility. When okay, four hundred dollars wasn't life changing, but a hundred thousand dollars or whatever it is is life changing. And so you, even though the amount he stood to lose wasn't that big, the amount he stood to not win <laughs> was. Yeah. And so yeah, it, it gets it gets complicated, but um yeah, it it all plays into this and the the larger story about just uh preaching preaching responsible gaming and and pre- responsible use of your bankroll and not making the kind of bets that are going to if they lose get you so upset that you're sending threatening messages to players. That is when you know you are in way too deep. Yeah, I mean, I'm going back to like 1970s New York uh, advertisements, uh, bet with your head, not over it. And that yep. pretty much sums it up. Yep. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. While legal sports betting has been spreading at a rapid pace in America over the past two years, betting on politics and elections remains off limits here, but not so in England, where our interview guest on this week's podcast lives. Paul Krishnamurti is a professional gambler and journalist covering sports and politics for Betfair Exchange. His work is compiled at his website, politicalgambler.com. And on the heels of Super Tuesday, it seemed a perfect time to invite him on the podcast to discuss betting on elections. Paul, welcome to Gamble On. Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me on. So from reading your Twitter and your articles, the way that you bet politics seems more like trading stocks than normal sports betting, as you're constantly making bets and, and cashing out when you sense the time is right. Can you explain your approach to gambling on politics and yeah. how, how easy and accessible is it in the UK? Well, it's very easy and accessible because we've got a very liberalized market. And um, I actually betting that style on everything. That's how I bet on sport as well. It's all about getting the right odds, predicting the trajectory of the market, the trajectory of a race or a golf tournament or a primary or uh, a cricket match and taking odds, exactly like the stock market, take backing high, laying low. It, to be honest, I mean, I also bet conventionally where I will make straightforward predictions. But I mean, if you're going to try and make a living at that, that's not easy. I mean, if, if you're making 10% profit off straight predictions, you're doing very, very well. Whereas if you're just predicting trajectory, well, you could be right 100 times a day, right? Because you can just get in and out, in and out on various different bets or various different markets. Right. So, um, so it's exactly like trading the stock market. 
And with regards to the election, well, to take the bet I've just had, um, I backed Joe Biden a week ago mm-hmm. when he was 6% for nomination. And I cashed out yesterday afternoon, which with hindsight is a bit early, <laughs> I cashed out at about 43%. So I made a nice profit there. But the bet was simply that he will rise from 6%. Right. Okay. Um, and, and I'm curious, just in terms of your bet sizing, do you bet the same sizes on politics as on sports or, or do you, are you willing to, to place bigger bets on, on one versus the other? It really depends on the individual uh, market. I have had my biggest bets on politics. Okay. For example, Obama in uh, 2012 and then against Trump last time. Okay, <laughs> so, you know, so mixed, mixed results then. Mixed results, yeah, but I was absolutely more confident about those real-world situations than I would be about, say, a golf tournament, which is somewhat dependent on luck. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, Paul, I know many gamblers bet with their hearts and uh, sports betting, and so like you know, popular NFL teams such as the Packers, the Steelers, the Cowboys, they're prone in the U.S. to have slightly disadvantaged uh, lines, betting lines, because a sector of betters are going to take whatever line they get. They love that team and they're going to bet on them. Um, I'm wondering if that kind of emotion is true in political betting as well, and if so, do you try and exploit that? Well, I, I don't think it used to be the case. I think if you go back five years ago, that wouldn't have been the case, but I really do think it is now. I think that largely due to Trump and also due to Brexit, Political betting has been popularised now and there are many more people betting on it than there were five years ago. It's not just hardened gambling, hardened politicos. It's people who are really just backing their team. And yeah, I would say that certainly uh, the 2020 odds, I think, are wrong because I think there's too much sentiment in them. And we've seen it in in lots of other elections, especially with these populist right parties say in France or in Sweden, where they literally had no chance whatsoever, right? Because all of the other parties had agreed that they were going to unite against them. And yet there was like an endless supply of money queued up to back them, Hmm. right? And I think that was purely people backing their team. And I mean, obviously, look, it is a myth that anybody is neutral about politics. See, I will, you know, I I mean, people attack me all the time, you know, for like, because I, I don't hide my politics from from people. Um, and I think naturally someone who's interested in politics is going to have a perspective before they even start. But you should, obviously, I think anyone who's a serious gambler tries to put that to one side. I don't. I mean, I often, for instance, you know, I mean, I, I'm definitely on the left. I think everyone would know that. Mm-hmm. But I often back the right wing in England, for instance. You know, I've backed Conservatives heavily at the last election and in general in recent years. One of the problems you've got now is that the information is so partisan and it's so um, it's so splintered. You know, you can, I think if you went back five years, 10 years, and you asked most people about a major election, they'd pretty much discuss the same few set of facts. Whereas now, you can just get any information anywhere. And there are people out there who are, you know, gaming the system constantly, just the same as they're gaming the mass media. Right. Gamblers are vulnerable to that. You've got half of the game is now trying to work out who's gaming the information, where, what's true and what isn't. Right. But so certainly you found that as things have become more divisive uh, in, in either direction, it's become more exploitable in terms of the odds. Absolutely. Let me give you one example. Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton is not going to be the Democrat candidate, right? 
Right. I don't think anyone who really <laughs> is seriously following it. There have been people in the UK placing 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 pound bets on Hillary Clinton to be the Democratic candidate. Either they're geniuses and they know something the rest of us don't, or they've read fake information. Right. Interesting. Um, So uh, in the U.S., it is legal to bet on elections at modest limits using prediction markets like Predicted and and IEM. Do you see a day in the near future when American sports books will allow betting on elections? You'd like to think so. I found that really strange. I found Mm -hmm. that a really, really strange thing that, you know, there's probably more money in American politics and all of the other countries in the West put together. So the idea that it would become dishonest because people were having a few hundred quid on, on um, uh, an election was bizarre. But I, was, I found that really striking that even in Vegas, you know, talking to um, Jimmy Vaccaro at the South Point Hotel, um, and he was pricing it all up and advertising a year out for mm-hmm. the 2016 election. But he couldn't actually take a bet. Right. That's bizarre. But given that sports betting is taking off over there now, I think it's inevitable, isn't it, that we get there. Right. Did you have some sense of what the time frame might be? I mean, certainly it it would seem the 2020 election is too close to expect anything to change. Okay. Yeah, I think so. But 2024 is going to have a chance. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, well, I wrote a newspaper article in 2011 explaining how uh, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie was a co-favorite for the Republican nomination back then in the UK and in Ireland. And I mentioned that one could bet on whimsical long shots such as, you know, Oprah Winfrey, which was amusing, and Michael Bloomberg, who kind of ran, and Donald Trump, I mentioned the same article. <laughs> They're all over 100 to 1. Um, I did not picture any of them running ever and uh, another one winning five years later. So um, – you talked about uh, you didn't do so well with Trump and you uh, you had a good hunch on Biden. Um, did you learn anything from the Trump experience that kind of helped you with Biden or are they completely separate issues? Well, um, so first of all, going back, I mean, that election, the 2016 election, everything about it is the greatest political story ever told. I have literally tens of thousands of words of notes on that that was meant to turn into a book that's now turning into a five-year book on right. politics going mad in multiple countries. <laughs> so if anyone wants to, if any, any literary agents or film producers <laughs> want to talk to me, get in touch. So and it, it was an amazing um, story. Now, with regards to the Trump thing, um, I mean, my story goes back with the primaries. I backed Ted Cruz at okay. all prices imaginable. Right to win life-changing amounts of money, much more than I've ever won or even considered winning on politics. And I made some money out of that. I didn't cash out nearly enough. I didn't. I never thought Trump would win. I thought that Cruz would stop him. I thought there'd be a brokered convention. It didn't happen. Mm. And then we go through to the main event. On the main event, I I made the biggest mistake of my whole gambling career by a mile because I go into the day with a beautiful position, basically just short of even money about Clinton for mm-hmm. a large bet. And I was saying to everyone, don't cover, don't, there's no point in backing him at five to one. He's a terrible bet at five to one. If you want to cover Trump, just back him to win Pennsylvania, Michigan, Florida, North Carolina, these states, right? Because he might well win one, two of them and still not be president and then you you won't do me money. And to be perfectly honest with you, I just got ahead of myself and I, didn't have the saver, and then I ended up panicking as the result changed in running and having to take a big hit. Um, 
But I don't, with regards to wider race, I think that the fluke nature of it has been understated here. She won by 2.9 million votes. Right. But that's not going to happen again. You'll never see an election, I don't think, ever again, where the loser gets wins the popular vote by 2.9 million. There was a particularly freakish set of situations, scenario where you've got two strong third-party candidates. You've also got the two main candidates, the least two popular candidates in the history of elections. And the fundamentals that people were working on to say that she had a 77, 80% chance of winning, they were right. It just didn't quite pan out. And I think, to be honest with you, there's been a bit of an overreaction to it since, that when people are looking at 2020, I mean, I'm pretty much alone on on this in this country. I am very against Trump. Um, The odds have moved against me, but I'm still not desperately unhappy with the position I've got. I don't understand why he's favourite. I don't understand any, I don't understand the mathematical logic, bearing in mind that he got 46.1%. He won't win this election with 46.1% because there won't be a big third party intervention. And all the evidence since 2016, in special elections, in the midterms, all of which I've got right, um, there's been a massive uh, rise in turnout on the left. So the numbers have changed. I noticed there's something like another 20 Republicans standing down in November. Well, if they're so confident and he's the odds on favourite, why are they standing down? Right? And likewise, we look at the, um, the generic ballot. In 2016, again, my logic the whole way through was, I must have been on 100 conservative radio shows and said the same thing. You will beat her but don't, if you don't pick Trump because Trump is toxic. Right. Hmm. Look at the result on 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 on, uh, on the day. Trump underscores the Republican share for the House by three percent. Right. So he underscores and, and Clinton overperforms the Democrats score. So the, so the Republicans won the generic ballot four years ago. Well, now they're seven eight percent behind consistently. So to me, that is pointing to a Democrat landslide. So I don't understand that, whoever the candidate is, and now they've picked Biden. Um, I don't necessarily think he's the best candidate. I personally think Warren would have fared better. But um, he's solid enough. He's not toxic. He's a representative of a... He's reflective of a respected former administration, right? And he's the stable, safe pair of hands as opposed to Trump, who is extreme and marmite either way. We love and we hate him. And I I think Biden's a fantastic bet at the moment. Hmm. It's been great talking to you, Paul. Uh, everybody out there, you can find Paul on Twitter at Paul Motti. That's P-A-U-L-M-O-T-T-Y. Uh, thanks again for, for coming on, on the podcast, Paul. Pleasure. Appreciate it. Pleasure. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. complained about bad beats very often on Gamble On, but I'm going to make an exception this week as I took a bad beat uh, and also a heartbreaking near miss on another bet to make the difference between a winning week and a losing week for our bankroll. First, though, let's enjoy some good news as John remained hot betting on golf, his fourth straight win. Picking someone to go top 20 or top 10, we profited $150 with his pick of Gary Woodland for the top 20, though we did lose $10 back uh, taking a shot on Woodland to win the tournament. Um, 
I lost one boxing bet that was not a bad beat at all, just a bad bet by me. I thought minus 120 favorite Khalid Yafai would defeat aging great Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez, but Chocolatito turned back the clock and knocked Yafai out and made me look silly. My other boxing bet, however, just missed. I put $10 on a draw in the Kevin Newman Plana fight, and I had it scouted perfectly. A close fight, hard to score, went the distance. All three judges had it six rounds to four, so we missed by a round. Uh, it sucks, uh, but it was a 28 to 1 bet I wasn't really expecting to win. My XFL bet, on the other hand, uh, we needed over 49 points in the Roughnecks Renegades game. The Roughnecks took a 27 to 20 lead with 13 minutes to play and lined up for a two point conversion that would have clinched at least a push. But they missed. No big deal there. In the final 13 minutes, though, neither team scored. <laughs> Dallas quarterback Landry Jones injured his knee on a fourth down as they were driving. Ugh. And with two minutes to go, Dallas was at the Houston three-yard line, and a routine swing pass on second down was bobbled, batted in the air, and intercepted. If you play out those final 13 minutes a uh. hundred times, I think we hit the over at least 90 of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But – Alas, we took the bad beat there. I was O for everything last week. Uh, your Portland Trailblazers uh, staved <laughs> off the under on Wednesday night, uh, so that loss is not official yet. They just need to go undefeated the rest of the season. They got this. Uh, but for now, no futures bets are graded this week, so we lost $100 for the week. We're up $169. Uh, we have $1,150 on hold in futures bets, and that means we have $9,019 available to bet this week. And I'm up first. And I was listening to our one-time Gamble On guest, Doug Kazarian, talking MLB futures the other day with Buster Olney. Doug was saying last year people bet on Mike Trout at about even money to win the AL MVP, and he thought that was a poor investment, even though it worked out. But he was saying that this year he's come around, uh, that if you want to bet Trout at even money, he can't argue with it. Now, I'm not sure I would bet Trout at even money, but... Mm -hmm. I see that whereas Doug was quoting some Vegas sports books that had him even or, or even I think he said minus 125 at one book uh, at the online books. Uh, the pricing is much better than that. Uh, the highest that I'm seeing is plus 150 at DraftKings. You figure Trout has won three of the last six. So uh, I realize it's a small sample size, but that supports him being fair value at even money. He's shown that he can win the MVP even if his team kind of stinks. He no longer has Mookie Betts to compete with in the AL. Uh, I think it's going to take some pretty overwhelming numbers to get the baseball writers to vote for a Houston Astros player this year. Uh, <laughs> I think that the competition for Trout is weaker than ever. So I would say a healthy Trout is probably a little over 50% to win MVP. But then you factor in the injury risk, and maybe he's like 45% overall to win MVP. So I think we're getting good value at plus 150. Let's bet $100 to win 150 on Philadelphia Eagles fan Mike Trout for AL MVP. Yeah, I mean, it, it is purely a health thing, I think. If he plays 150 games, I like your chances. So, uh, And he's just under 30, I think. So mm -hmm. we've got a shot there. Um, okay. But, yes, yeah, I have to try and keep the golf winning streak alive, obviously. And uh, okay. I, I'm going to go with a, a you know, late uh, late tee time since some people are already uh, playing uh, on, in Florida uh, as we speak. So uh, give me 21-year-old Korean golfer Sung J. M. at 100 and even money for a top 20. 
in the Arnold Palmer Invitational in Orlando. Um, M1 last week, and normally you'd think that, wait, a kid that age might even miss his tea time today after collecting that $1 million check <laughs> last weekend. But no, M is a grinder. Um, he has the busiest, busiest schedule on the PGA Tour, and he's a top 20 machine. Um, he still doesn't own a car, he says, and mm. like, I'm, not, I'm not comfortable with his work-life balance, really, but um, hey, a bet's a bet. Um, and I'm not taking the token win bet flyer here. Uh, it did bite me with Adam Scott a couple weeks ago, and he actually won. But uh, this field has Rory McIlroy, Tommy Fleetwood, and a few others. Like, like to get the best of him, so to speak. So, uh, <laughs> so, so I'm just going to go with 100 even money for a top 20. Okay, that sounds reasonable. Uh, yeah, if he's not really a serious uh, threat to, to win it all, then uh, I don't think we have to do that bet every time. But uh, sounds like, you know, we were talking earlier about uh, responsible gamblers. It sounds like Sun J.M. is a, is a responsible golfer. Uh, uh, well, uh, yeah, I don't know. He's got a lot of sponsors he has to deal with. And yeah, I, I'm not crazy about the arrangement, but um, <laughs> he, he's definitely focused on golf. That's that's the thing I need to know. Okay. Um, for my next bet, we have a good NBA showdown tonight. Clippers at Rockets, basically a pick'em game. Two excellent offenses. Both teams have been playing great lately. Uh, the Rockets' recent loss to the Knicks, notwithstanding. Uh, the last two times these teams played each other, the totals were 241 and 239, neither game requiring overtime. So while 236 seems for a normal game like a high over-under line, for these two teams, I don't believe it is. Uh, that's the number at Foxbet and DraftKings. It's 237 at some other books. But let's take the no low number, 236, and bet $110 to win 100 on the over and have some fun tonight rooting for points. All right. And we're almost at midseason with the XFL, so I'm going to dip my toe back into that pond this week. Um, okay. And I'm going to short our beloved and undefeated Houston Roughnecks this week. Um, <laughs> you got in the preseason around 10 to 1 to win it all, I think. Um, That's right, 10 to 1. Yeah. All right. And uh, But give me the Seattle Dragons. Uh, they seem to have settled down their quarterback issues. And so 110 to win 100 at plus 12 and a half points. So, you know, the Necks have been winning but not dominating. So I think the same applies in week five. So uh, the, the, the Roughnecks win but don't cover. So we win and we win. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's a great bet. I was looking at the various XFL spreads this week, and uh, yeah, that seems like a high number for a team that's uh, kind of been eking, eking them out lately. So uh, yeah, I'd be happy with that. Uh, uh, a close uh, win for our rough dot 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 next. I like it. <laughs> uh, that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening, and thanks again to our guest Paul Krishnamurti. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan, and follow US Bets at US underscore Bets. Go to USBets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling, and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that, John, please take us out. Now, Eric, I have an update on one of last year's best feel-good stories in sports, really. Um, you know, Brandon Matthews is the golfer who, you know, he had a putt with a chance to stay alive in a playoff in the Argentina Open back in November, and his stroke got rattled by an unexpected and unfortunately timed outburst from the gallery. So, you know, Matthews, his entire golf career might have been different had he won that event uh, and he lost. Uh, of course, he was ticked off for a moment. Then he realized the sound came from an excited middle-aged gentleman with Down syndrome. So, you know, Matthew's best friend growing up had a similar sister, and as soon as he recognized the situation, he came over to assure the man that everything was okay, you know, don't worry about it. 
so this week, Matthews has a sponsored exemption into that Arnold Palmer Invitational PGA Tour event. He'll compete against Roy McIlroy and 119 other you know big league players. Uh, the exemption goes to someone who reflects the class and dignity of Arnold Palmer himself. And uh, you know, I witnessed that firsthand 30 years ago when. He was all too willing to grant this young reporter here, me, uh, a locker room interview after a, a heat-impacted second round that had him miss the cut at the U.S. Senior Open. It was a rough time for him, but he was nothing but gracious. And um, Now, DraftKings has Matthews at only 600-1 to one to win this tournament, and don't take that bet. That's not what I'm uh, <laughs> recommending here. But for two days anyway, I have a feeling that Mr. Matthews will have a very special little gallery. And uh, just because you don't place a bet on him doesn't mean you can't root for him. So... Uh, with that, uh, everybody, until next time, gamble on.